like to put a scripture verse out there for us to just be holding in our minds as we uh, think about what's before us today. And this scripture verse is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and verse 15. It says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. The church in North America, the church here at Brownsville Community Church, and in the United Methodist Church is presently in this place of wrestling with what some people think is a balance of truth over love or love over truth and which is it and how do we get the right balance of this and can you be truthful and be loving or do you have to let go of truth in order to be loving is truth unloving? I mean, these are all questions that, uh, if you haven't wrestled with them, you probably will be soon. But I, I think that probably all of us have been thinking about some of these things. And uh, you know, regardless of the outcome of the vote later on today, Christians are often called upon to try to address this challenging topic of speaking the truth in love. And so I thought, well, let's just do that today. That'll be quick and easy, right? No. <laughs> let's take a look at it together and acknowledge some of the wrestlings that we have and some of the challenges. But you know, uh, right at the very beginning, we need to say that God is bigger and more truthful and more loving than any of the challenges and any of the difficulties that come at us and come to us through these issues. So how does the church love and welcome, yet not affirm sin? It's a big question. How do we answer the questions that we are going to be asked in the near and in perhaps distant future? Uh, this is going to be an overgeneralization right now that I'm going to say, but one slice of the church would say that if you do not affirm, you do not love. Another slice of the church would say, well, that's the truth, and that's the truth, and you better deal with it. We have an incredible opportunity as followers of Jesus to press into the gospel to really learn the nature of Jesus and to be formed ever increasingly into his likeness and to carry that likeness into the world, into our relationships with our friends, our family, our co-workers, and our neighbors, and to allow the Holy Spirit to be winsome in the hearts and spirits of those who will hear a gospel of truth proclaimed in love. Let me put it out there one more time, Ephesians 4.15, backing up to verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, 
by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Three really hard things for people to do. <laughs> We're not very good at speaking. <laughs> okay, the Bible talks about what a challenge speaking is for us. Our tongues get us in trouble all the time. Okay, just be married for five minutes. <laughs> You'll be in trouble, right? Um, we aren't all that good at truthing either, okay? Um, we lie to ourselves all the time. Sometimes we lie to others. We might try to lie to God. And loving is hard for us too. Scripture is very clear that these are three of the most difficult aspects for people to be able to do and manage in life. And here they are all wrapped up in one neat little verse. Speak the truth in love. Good luck. <laughs> Not without God's help will we be able to do this. You know, our speech kind of opens up a window to our thoughts and our hearts. It, it lets God, others, and ourselves see what's really in our hearts and really in our minds oftentimes. If we lose control of our speech, other people get hurt sometimes, right? We can say things, things come out of our mouth and we go, oh, <laughs> did I really just say that? Insert foot in mouth, right? Um, the brother of Jesus said this, no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. <laughs> you know, either we're cursing our neighbor or we're blessing God with it and, you know, one thing or the other can often come out of it. We can probably think back not very far to something that we said that we wish we hadn't said or maybe we could have said it differently and the outcome would have been different. So speaking is really hard, okay? How about truth? Have you ever lied to make yourself look better or look good? Have you ever stretched the truth just a little bit to improve the way someone else sees you? Uh, how about, how about uh, passing on a piece of juicy gossip maybe under the excuse of a prayer request? <laughs> right, that's a good way to do it. Right? Um, I'm not pointing at you, I'm pointing at me. Okay? No. <laughs> uh, Paul writes, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are members of one body. You go and read about the armor of God uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, and there's the belt of truth, kind of holds everything together. Without the belt of truth, stuff starts falling off. Right? So we've got to be able to speak the truth. How about love? Well, whose definition of love? Is it what love looks like in the culture? Is it what love looks like in a secularized version of things? Is it um, Eros? Is it Philadelphia? You know? different kinds of loves that are out there. There's a few of them. Uh, is it something that we feel? How does worldly love contrast with Christian love? And how do we apply that in our own lives? 
and in the church and in our relationships. Because when we say the word love through the lens of scripture, it means something different than what the culture describes as love. For the Christian, love is a matter of obedience. If you love me, keep my commands. It's a matter of obedience. It's extended, that love of God is extended to others by godly people, even when it is not reciprocated. Christian love is not conditional on someone else's response to us for extending it. It's actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from within us in our natural human state. It requires the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to enable to bear the fruit of biblical Christian godly love. Speaking truth in love. Conversations in today's climate, culture, and the church get really contentious really quickly. Just check out the comment sections of any news article related to Mid-Vermont Christian School's recent stand in withdrawing from a basketball game. It doesn't take long. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google it now or later. <laughs> uh, it doesn't take long to see the vitriol that lies just under the surface for people in this thin veneer of pleasantry. But underneath is anger and rage. Fruits of a different spirit. We are told in scripture that love is really important in how we treat one another. It's a mark of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Can we be truthful and be loving? Does one wipe out the other? Could it be said, in fact, that to be truthful is to be loving? Well, what about some of the combinations? How about untruthful and unloving? How does that look? Right? You're lied to and you're hated. That feels pretty bad. It, it's... it's um, Often seen as attacking others with lies and hatred. It's twisting truth and misapplying it with personal judgment. It's not listening to another person. It's taking no time to try and understand them. It's applying our own human point of view while demanding it become the other person's point of view as well. It doesn't work. It has no place in the church or amongst Christians in conversation with each other or with the world. How about untrue but loving? What if you do that? What if we as Christians water down the truth in the name of being loving? What does that look like? Well, people will feel cared for, but they're actually being misled. What feels like being loving in this case is really not loving because it's leading people into a lie. Real love is not possible without truth. So to build the church by not telling people the truth from scripture is to merely replicate a social club or to create a cult. It's definitely not a Christian expression. And this doesn't accurately 
present scripture or the mind and the heart of God? What if what the church is conveying is true but unloving? It produce a community of people that has answers no one wants to listen to. So we could be presenting truth all day long, but if we're doing it with a club filled with spikes, that's not going to do anything. It's going to drive people away. The view that people have of Christians in the world is interesting today. Uh, when I jumped on board with the ski patrol up at the mountain, someone said, we're glad to have you on here, but don't be thumping that Bible with us. They thought I was going to come at them with my big, thick Bible, and I, I had to chuckle. And I, I understand where they're coming from. You know, I, I get it. It's the impression that people have of us. We've taken truth and we've thrown it at people without necessarily being loving. So if preaching is true and loving, and y'all are preachers, you preach with your words, you preach with your actions, you preach with your wallets, right? If preaching is true and loving, it results in a growing community of people who become the mature body of Jesus. That's what scripture tells us, speaking the truth in love. If we preach the truth, if we speak it in love, then we have the fruit of the Spirit operating in us, and Christ is able to come to the front. Truth in love is really powerful, even if it confronts somebody in sin, even if it challenges them to change. It's powerful because the Holy Spirit can use it. It's this beautiful combination where the Holy Spirit can come and quicken the truth to our hearts to transform lives, leads us into being built up into the body of Christ. True and loving is what brings us to Christ. When I was um, eight years old, I had a very well-meaning but very hurtful conversation with my little niece. Uh, and I regret it to this day. She was about four or five years old at that time. And I thought that I was telling her about the Lord. And everything I told her was true. But I went into great detailed descriptions of hell. <laughs> to a four or five year old. And in my eight year old brain it made sense. Boy were her parents upset with me. <laughs> it was true. It wasn't terribly loving. And it definitely changed a little bit of the course of her life in faith. So truth and love is the example that we have from Jesus and the standard to which we are called to as we reflect the gospel in word and in deed. Look at this example of the Samaritan woman in the scriptures today, right? Jesus didn't say to her, get out of here. This is my well, you know. Uh, get your water another time. True. <laughs> Not very loving. He didn't say, it's okay that you're living in sin and have had so many husbands and are now shacked up in sin. It's okay because I love you. He didn't say that either, right? He didn't say, I love you, so I'm not going to hold you to a standard. What does Jesus do? 
He changes the conversation. He points out sin is sin. And at the very same moment, he welcomes her into a conversation. He's welcoming her into a dance with him, into a dialogue with him, with the creator of the universe. He offers her truth. And she responds. And even though it confronts how she's living, she's so amazed that she goes and tells everyone, and many come to faith because of it. That is Jesus, the master of truth in love, giving us the example. She could have become grumpy. She could have gotten offended. She should have been upset that Jesus, you know, didn't appreciate how she was living and and affirm it and say that it was okay. She could have stormed off and found someone else who would be loving and maybe not so truthful, but loving and tell her what she wanted to hear and affirm her in her situation. But look at the power of truth in love. She is welcomed. She is valued. She is loved. She is confronted by the truth of her situation and, yes, her sin. And she responds to it and the fruit of this continues to bear more fruit, which bears more fruit. From this one conversation, Jesus is invited to go sit with all these Samaritans, and he spends two days there. And they say, and we believe not just because of your testimony, woman at the well, but because we now have met Jesus too. It's powerful. Right? The gospel is released when it's spoken in truth and in love. How about briefly the story of the prodigal son? We know that story, right? The father doesn't affirm the son in the pig pen sowing his wild oats. But when he comes, he welcomes him home with a full welcome, full love, full honor, though undeserved. And what about the other son? The father doesn't affirm the other son's poor attitude. Right? But he reminds him and reassures him of his love for him, his welcome, and his place with the Father and in the family. There was no wavering on the truth anywhere in that. The truth was not sacrificed on the altar of love. Truth and love can be presented together in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the result is a whole gospel, and change lives. This past week, I had the occasion to play the hymn Amazing Grace, and it led me to think about, do we really think grace is so amazing anymore, or have we gotten used to it? Um, have we developed sort of a sense of entitlement to it? When we downplay human sinfulness, we cheapen the grace that Christ paid for with his blood, with his suffering, with his death. It is exactly because we're not good, any of us, that God, in his love, sent his son to die for our sins. And that is what is so significant and why the grace is so amazing. Where everyone believes that grace is deserved, and when grace is transformed into entitlement, then the definitions change outside the church and inside the church. 
So we live in this culture, in this age that thrives on self-affirmation, self-determination, and showing grace now means accepting someone else's definition of their own righteousness rather than what God describes in Scripture. And our age of this individualism leads us to find our meaning in the identities that we have constructed for ourselves instead of finding our identity in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for us. Scripture is clear that God has a standard of righteousness and we don't get to decide what that is. Uh, an author that I appreciate, Ken Eidelman, puts it this way. Self-affirmation is the gospel of the American culture. We are idolaters when we make it the gospel of the Christian church. The church exists not to affirm ourselves, but to adore the king who loved us and gave himself for us when there was nothing good in us to affirm. The more we affirm ourselves, the less we adore the king for his grace. Closing with this, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, all are in need of a savior, all need grace, all need to repent and nail our cultural lust for self-affirmation to the hard wood of the cross. Jesus didn't die to affirm us in our state, he died to affirm and confirm himself in us. The cross levels the playing field for all of us. We need the truth. The culture needs the truth. We also need love. And the culture needs the love of God written in Scripture, found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and brought to life as a fruit of the Spirit. When these are allowed to come together in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when the gospel goes out in power and people are redeemed and lives are transformed. Amen. Amen. How can we pray for you?